We are ending a series today called A Whole Heart. And this series comes from uh, the great commandment. If you remember Jesus talking about the people came to Jesus and said, uh, hey, what's the, you know, what's the greatest thing? They had about 614 commandments. I said, which, which one means the most, right? Trying to, trying to catch Jesus a little bit into a, into a quandary because if he said one versus another, and he said, let me just give you the summary. And he said, I'm going to tell you what I think is the most important. We actually gave him two things, like two sides of a coin. And he started off with uh, uh, one of the ones from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, it also says, uh, and your strength right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And sometimes we talk about all those things, but sometimes I think we glaze over just what does a whole heart mean. And we wanted to look at Jesus. What did Jesus talk about when he talked about people's hearts, when he talked about the idea of what it looked like to live with a whole heart? I mean, nothing holding you back, okay? Nothing, nothing tying you down, no anchors, no chains to be able to give your whole heart to God. Well, we said the first week, and I'm going to again do a real quick recap, that a whole heart looked like a generous life. A whole heart looks like a generous life. Go ahead and flip that slide up there, Tony. And for us, we believe that generosity is not something that, that is the same as what most people assume. It's giving a gift or giving a financial thing. People immediately assume it's about money. It's really not about money. It's about living a lifestyle that is free, right? It's living a lifestyle, again, no, nothing holding you back, nothing holding you down. A generous life with everything is something that we would literally call a free life. This is what it looks like for, to love God with your whole heart. And Jesus is the one who sort of talks about how sort of uh, intertwined how we see resources, how we see valuable things, how we see money, how we see these things is somehow, sometimes the problem because it's so tied to our hearts. Let me go ahead and read. I know it's not on the TV yet, but I'll go ahead and read it for you. It's in Matthew 6, 19, part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at that over the last couple weeks. It'll be on the big screen for you as well. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and, can't moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, right? For you will hate one, and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one, and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, again, like I told you a couple weeks ago, for all those who get really nervous about a money message from, from church, this is not a money message, okay? We're going to talk about how it looks and why giving is a part of, of, of this idea of our hearts. But the reality is Jesus says, look, the, there's going to be, you're going to put your faith and your trust in something. You're going to devote your life to something. That's what devotion is, a whole heart. But you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot have a whole heart in service and devotion to God and have these chains, if you will, chains around your heart. And here's some of the ones that I talked about just a few weeks ago that seem so normal, right? They seem so practical. This is just, but we don't see how they tie us down. And so we talked about prosperity and debt. We talked about this idea that there's never enough, right? 
There's never enough. How do I know there's never enough? Because I look at you and you might be making, you know, a third more than you've ever made before. You know, you might've doubled, you know, in the last 10 years, what you've made. And you're like, yeah, Matt, but prices and economy and inflation and blah, 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 you know, I, I get it. But if I were to look at you today and say, how much is enough? Would you have an answer for me outside of a bajillion dollars, right? Like outside of some crazy number, would, would there ever be enough? No, because there is a chain of prosperity that there's always more to get. There's always more you feel like you need, which oftentimes that does drive debt. Then there's just material possessions, our stuff. And you guys know this. I mean, you know, you, you, it does take a little while. Young people don't get it, but older people sure do get it, how much our stuff owns us, right? How much our stuff owns us. And then, of course, there's st- stability and security, which we talked a lot about last week. The chains of just that security, the promises that money offers us, the promises that money has, we believe are true and that they make us, that we won't have to worry, that we won't have to do. It's just not true. Matter, matter of fact, we talk, I gave you this example last week, and I'll do it again, just as a quick example of sort of the average American. Okay, This is sort of the average American um, and their life when it comes to how they worry, because that's the primary word associated with money, is worry. You can associate a bunch of other stuff, anxiety, stress, concern, like throw all the other words you want out there. Worry is the primary one, right? And worry actually leads us to spending. It leads us to spending sometimes as much as we have because we worry it's not enough. And the only reason we worry it's not enough is because we have no margin. We spend more than we have, which pulls us into debt, right? Pulls us into debt. And when we're in debt, even if it's manageable debt, even if it's something we can manage, like we can afford all the payments, we can afford all the stuff, the upkeep and things. Even if we can manage it, we live life with no margin. There's no extra. There's no in case of emergency. What's it called? What's Dave Ramsey called? The emergency, is it just the emergency fund? Like right, rainy day, emergency fund, $1,000 everybody should have in the bank, right? Yeah, that seems impossible for some people, right? There is no margin because, and, and because there's no margin, what do we do? Say it out loud like you believe me. Worry. Yeah, that's right. We worry. And on and on the, the cycle goes. And this, listen, this is just everybody. This is the average American. As a matter of fact, I wrote this last week. People assume this is normal. Why? Because everybody looks the same way. And here's the problem. As I shared last week, this is the way most Christians look. They're living their lives in the same cycle with these chains around their heart, claiming devotion to God, claiming to follow Jesus, but not really understanding generosity. Now, they, they give. They might give because we all basically at some point learn to give. Okay? Our parents teach us, share this, give that away. And you, be, you know, remember when you were a kid and you begrudgingly, like, you know. Sometimes you're still adults and do that, right? But we learn at some point to give, but we think the generosity is just these random acts of giving. If somebody can manipulate me or inspire me or shame me or guilt me, that's why they want me to go on a mission trip so they, I feel bad about being you know, rich or you know, I feel bad about the, the stuff I have. It's not really true. The average American just sees money in such a way that these chains exist, that we cannot live wholehearted, devoted, to God, as Jesus said. And worry is our primary source and primary feeling around money. Well, Jesus, last week, we again finished the Sermon on the Mount. We read that Jesus said, oh, it's working now. Fantastic. All right. 
Good job, guys. Give me a hand. Good job, guys. All right. I won't touch it, I swear. Okay. So don't worry about these things. Jesus had just gone on talking about the worthless birds and the flowers, right, and all these things and said, listen, I, want you to, I don't want you to worry about all the things, okay? Everybody say all the things. All the things. It's horrible grammar, but you know what I mean when we say it, right? Don't worry about all the things, what you're, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, and all the things you would add to that list of needs. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Like people who do not have a God don't have a choice but to worry about all of those things. But your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. So he basic Jesus' words were just like, stop acting like an unbeliever, right? Because all of our worry and anxiety, he goes on to say, or he had earlier said, you know, your worry, can all of your worry add a single moment to your life? No. Where is your faith? We say, well, we have faith, right? I'm a Christian. I have faith. I asked Jesus in my heart as a child. I asked Jesus, you know, I came, I came to this church. I got saved here. I have faith. Well, I understand what you're saying, but the best word to describe faith is trust. Are you really trusting in God with your life? Or have you just, for some weird American version of Christianity, you're a trusting God for your afterlife only? But you live like a, like, a, like a follower of no one, like a, someone with no God every other day. Worry and anxiety is really just rooted in fear, but our trust is faith. And we talked last week about what does that mean? Well, Jesus gave the answer and the promise. He gave the answer to how to do this and the promise where he said, seek first or seek the kingdom of God above all else. A couple of translations say it differently. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously live at peace, live in such a way that you're already made right with God, and he will give you everything you need. This is, this is, this is Jesus making the promise to those who live in such a way that they are actually trusting, they actually have faith in, they live with devotion to, they live a whole heart to God. And so we're going to kind of talk this week about just how do we do that. And I, and, and I, and I asked this question the, the right way because how do I do that is always where we go, right? We go to, well, how do I do that? Like, give me practical examples of what that looks like. How do I do it? Well, here's the problem. Jesus, most of the time, really didn't teach people what to do without also trying to teach them what needed to change in their life in order to see the results of their actions look different. Their actions would be different and the results of their actions would be different. So when I'm talking about this, I don't want to take for granted that you've ever really been taught what it looks like to be generous, right? To, to live a life of generosity. I don't want to assume that you've ever been taught this. You might have been taught how you're supposed to give, what you're supposed to give, and what you think Christians are expected to do, but you really didn't get taught generosity. So it really is giving versus generosity, doing versus being, right? We have to, we have to focus on that you are generous. You do giving, right? You do giving, but you are generous. It's who you are. And that really is what we're going to land today and see in the principle and the encounter that Jesus is going to have. And then I'm actually going to, I am, just promise you, I'm going to go to one of Paul's letters 
and show you the results of what it looks like when you actually live this kind of faith. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, said, look, you guys want to make an argument that people can have faith and then there's people who do good things. And he says, how can you, how can you show me your faith without doing good things? Because I'll show you my faith by my works, right? It is a, it is a being that always goes into a doing. We don't want to focus on the doing and get some bad theology and bad practices, and you don't even know why you're turning a check in. You still think you're tipping us on the way out with a, in the box, you know. Good job today, Matt. Uh, you know? I, I want you to really see it. So, the encounter we're going to look at today comes from Luke 12. This is an encounter Jesus has. It's actually pretty cool. It's an encounter that he has and a parable. Okay, so he, he has this encounter and chooses to teach through a parable, the principle. Let's go to this, Luke 12. Someone in the crowd went to Jesus and said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now he doesn't go into the history of this, but he just gives us the, the context. Hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, which I, I can't figure out why he'd say that. I think Luke just didn't get the name. You know what I'm saying? Like, Luke was getting all this, and he was just like, does anybody guys know the name? Okay, no, man. All right, so, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you, right? Who, like, who appointed, why, why would you even be asking me this to tell your brother to divvy up the stuff? But here's what he does, just to challenge him. He says, now listen, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus immediately goes to the heart, okay? He immediately goes to, look, you're talking about stuff, but let me, just, let me just tell you something. I want you to watch out. I need you to be careful. I need you to be on your guard of all kinds of greed, the way in which this, these chains kind of sneak into your life. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then he teaches them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I love, stay there right real quick, Tony, because the reality is, is that I want you to just see that Jesus in the, in the parable go ahead, goes ahead and identifies the guy as a rich man. He was a farmer. He had ground. He had a harvest. He had crops. He had, you know, he was already rich by, by other factors. Like he was a rich man. Yet he says this rich man just happened to have an abundant harvest. Like it was just rolling in. Okay. And he thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Cry me a river, right? My wallet's too small for my 50s, right? Like, I don't, I don't get this, but this is Jesus' parable. You have this abundant crop. You are, you are so flooded with blessing. And he says, I don't, I don't have anywhere to store it. And then he says this. Well, then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I can store my surplus grain. I can store the surplus, the extra that I've been blessed with. And then I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. <laughs> Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Work hard now. Get the benefit later. Retire at 50. Everybody with me? This is the American dream, right? Like retire when you can still enjoy it. 
you know, where you can still jump out of a plane or go skydiving or, you know, ski on the back of a boat. Like, like, like retire early. Don't, don't retire late. Like, let's, let's figure out what, this, what we got to do with our investments and, you know, how we can make this work. But here's, here's how he teaches this principle. God says to him, says to the man in the parable, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You didn't know it. You're dying tonight. Who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? You thought this was about you? Who's going to get it now? And he goes on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is what it looks like for those who store it up for themselves and are not rich towards God. Now, let me just go ahead and set everybody straight. God is not against you saving money, okay? No, just nod your head like you've heard me say it, okay? I have to, this is disclaimers here, okay? God is not against you saving money, okay? He's not against the wisdom. Go back and read Psalms and Proverbs. He's not against the wisdom of counting the cost and saving money, and I'll even share with you part of the reason we save money. Like, he's not against saving money. His, this principle, the principle of this parable is all about the fact that it's not all about you, right? It's not all about you. You know, just because it came to you, just because it was yours, doesn't mean it's yours. Doesn't mean it's about you. And there's a phrase that I love. This actually comes from this book. Uh, this is a book that we give out to everybody in our church who wants one. It's free. It's back there at the info bar. Um, this is just a book we'd love for you to have. A lot of what I teach is this. It's called Fields of Gold. Don't let the cover um, kind of like, uh, don't let the cover fool you, you know? It looks like a prosperity gospel thing. It's really not. It's kind of a bait and switch. It's technically it is, right? It's not kind of like it. It most certainly is. And this, this is up from Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta. This is a phrase that he uses often that I love because it, it kind of works through the process of what does this look like? Why do we have such trouble with this? Why is it, again, that so much of this is tied to how we see and view money is tied to our hearts and chains us down? And it's this phrase. The consumption assumption. If it comes to me, it is what? <sighs> Nobody likes this. Okay, so let's, let's try it one more time. You ready? This is the consumption assumption. I can't even say it right. <laughs> if it comes to me, it must be for me. for me. It's my bonus, right? It's my commission. It's, it's what was found on my land, right? If it comes to me, if the businesses and the opportunities and the blessing and the, and, the, and the harvest come to me, it's obviously for me. It's for me. It's to, for me to consume, whether it's now or in the future. It's for me after all. That's what I spend most of my time worried about. So it's for me. And Jesus says, be on your guard. <laughs> Watch out. For those kinds of greed, the kind of greed that kind of sneaks in under, the, under the, the veil of security, under the veil of stability, under the veil of progress, watch out, be on guard for this, because it's not about you. And just because it comes to you doesn't really mean it's for you. And I'll give you some more examples of this in a minute, but this is a really big deal, right? Because if I really do have that assumption, I'm going to consume everything that comes my way. 
because it's for me, right? And then I'll, I'll kind of go borrow some things because I'm pretty sure there's more coming my way and I can handle it. But I'm going to live with no margin. I'm going to live stressed out. I'm going to live in such a way that kind of I'm always teetering on the edge, which is going to fill my life with worry. It's just going to continue to build, build the cycle because I live with this consumption assumption. Again, Jesus wasn't against saving. He was against people who try to save because it's all about them and hoarding for them than it is being rich towards God, understanding the purpose of why you've been blessed, understanding the purpose and how you see money and what money really is. Again, you got to be on guard for the the trust that we're going to put in the, what riches provide or the promises of money versus trusting in the one who richly provides. I'm going to move and just kind of share with you how this shows itself in the early church. Because again, I know a lot of people just, I understand you want to be taught the principle, but there's also some benefit if you have scriptural examples of what it looks like. What did it look like? What, how, is it, how is it fleshing itself out? What did it mean? Like as, because of who we are, who we are as generous people, and therefore what we do because of it. Well, Paul writes about this often, and I'm going to choose this one section because it's kind of all in one, a uh, couple different chapters. I'm going to jump in and around in 2 Corinthians. This is the second letter we have of his uh, letter to the church in Corinth, all right? I'm going to start and just read some of this, some of this to you so that you can see what Paul is saying, why he's saying it, and how this practically applied to the church, okay? To the early church. Now, I want to make sure you guys all hear this. Not to the Jewish people, okay? Very careful. This is, this is us. The, we're the Gentiles in the world, right? It's not to the Jewish people. Jewish people were raised learning how to be generous or at least learning the law of what was required of them and what they needed to do in order to please God. Gentiles weren't raised with any of that, right? They weren't raised with any of this. But I want you to see what transformed in their life and what it looked like in the church. So we're going to start in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 8. Paul says, I want you to know, he's writing to the church in Corinth, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. This is a different region. And he's sharing it with the church in Corinth. Well, you know what, you, what God's been doing. They are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Okay, so it's obviously not about money if they're poor. This is the way Paul describes it. They have challenges, they're poor, they're challenged. But they, they have this joy that overflows in this life of generosity. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They did it out of their own free will. Keep going. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. There was, there was an offering going back to the people struggling in Jerusalem. And, and, and can you imagine these people these people in Macedonia, the church in Macedonia, was begging Paul, please let us give you something to take them. Please. Begging them to be a part. Because again, they, they maybe didn't have much, but they gave what they could afford, and they could give more than what they could afford even. 
They did more than we'd even hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. See, their first action was they gave of themselves. They, they gave of their time. They gave of everything they had, their possessions, their homes. They, they gave of themselves to Paul. They gave of themselves to the leaders in the church at the first and foremost, because that's what they were taught to do. That's what they, that's, they had learned what it meant to be generous with all things, to be generous with their life. They first and foremost did this because that's what God wanted them to do. And then they really wanted to be a part of this gift given. Now, he's writing the church because he wants the church in Corinth to be a part of this gift as well. He wants them to be a part of it. So here he goes and he says to them, I am not commanding you to do this. Okay? Paul's not commanding them to do anything. He's not commanding them to give something. But he says, I am testing well, that's a good word. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it to the eagerness of the other churches. I am testing who you are. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for his sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich in grace. Here is my advice, Paul. I, Paul's just saying, I, I would, it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. So this was a process. Again, we didn't have no, there's no Amazon Plus or Prime, you know. This is a process where they've been saving and storing up this gift, giving weekly, giving consistently to the church to put money aside, to be able to share in a gift to Jerusalem as soon as the leaders would come and be able to collect that and safely get it back to Jerusalem. He says, I want you to finish what you started a year ago because you were eager then. Last year, the you were the first who wanted to give. You were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving and given proportion to what, oh, go, sorry, go back. I didn't read the last line. And given proportion to what you have. Again, Paul wasn't asking for anything ridiculous. He said, I want you to give according to how you've been given. I want you to give according to what you have, according to how God has given to you. Keep going. Whatever you give is acceptable. If you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Now, I'm going to pause you here because I can't read the whole context of everything. It's like three sermons, all right? And you're going to be grateful I don't. He goes on to say some words that are trigger words for our current culture, equity and equality. And I want you to understand the heart behind it, okay? Because we're not going to read and do it. We're not going to teach on it. But if you go on and read... He does talk about the idea of equality in such a way that is not like we hear today. It's not like what our government promises. It's not like what people are saying in our culture is equality or equity. He talks about it from the standpoint of when you live such a life of generosity, there are times at which God pours out blessing on you so that you can bless others. And there might be times that you have needs and there's going to be others who can meet that need for you. That's what he means. Everybody with me? That, that's, that's as clearly as I can make it because Paul doesn't want you to be confused by our current context of what those words have been kind of, you know, changed into. He says, I want you to give according to what you have, not what you don't have. This is not about you having a, a tough time right now in your life. I want you to understand God already knows this. Remember, our Heavenly Father already knows our needs. So Paul is trying to make it clear to them again 
This act of generosity is just something that you do. As a matter of fact, he says it very specifically that what we do is a testimony of who we are. You like how I changed that word? Yeah. I have no respect for grammar. Here we go. It's not even the root of the word. I can't even make you think it is Latin. It's not. Okay. But I love the fact that when I began to see this, he said, I'm going to test you by this to make, to see if you're doing what you said you were going to do with the integrity of who you are. I'm testing you to see. That's what this is. And as I began to look at that, I was just like, it really is a gift. Like, like it really is a test. I'm sorry. Like the idea that, that it's not just what I'm doing that matters. It's, the, it's what James said. I show you by my, my faith, by my works. I, I, my actions, the integrity of following through with what I say I'm going to do, the integrity of claiming to follow Jesus and actually living in such a way that follows Jesus is a testimony of who I am. I can say the words all day long, but I can live this way in my life. Tell me the impact that makes. Tell me the impact that really makes versus actually understanding that what I do how I live it out, my actions, they're a testimony. God can test me. I've prayed for years that God would test me with more money. See, that's a selfish prayer, but I do it, right? <laughs> test me, God. I'm going to do good, I swear. Well, he knows whether I'm going to do good or not by what I already have. Am I already living in such a way that I'm living out the testimony of what I say I do, I believe? That's what this was. And I love the fact that, that Paul said that. Now, I want to go to 2 Corinthians 9 because he's continuing to share with the church how this looks. Look, guys, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. You know, I don't really need to do this. I'm preaching to the choir, he says. I know how eager you are to help. I've been boasting to these churches in Macedonia about you and Greece. And how you were ready centering offering a year ago. This was planned. This was prepared for. You were ready to do it last year. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. It was because of you that others were inspired to give. Have you ever seen reverse psychology in scripture? It's right there. Right? You with me? Here's Paul just affirming them, reminding them that this is the way you started. This is how eager you were early on. You understood giving of your whole self. You understood living with a whole heart. You need to keep doing that. I don't need to tell you and remind you. You? I don't need to remind you. Because you're the ones who inspired them when I bragged on you. And then... He gives them an example that I honestly believe wasn't probably brand new information. This is probably just the way they started understanding. Again, guys, we're talking about Macedonian and, and, and Greeks. We're talking about people who were not Jewish. They didn't grow up with, they didn't grow up with laws, and they didn't grow up with the Ten Commandments. They didn't grow up with giving God your first fruits. They didn't grow up with understanding tithe. They didn't grow up with understanding any of that from a family cultural perspective. And here's Paul just sharing again. What is it? What? Do, how do we view? really what God has given us. And he says, remember that the farmer, the farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. 
You must each decide in your heart how much you got to give, right? You don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Paul says generosity is not random acts of giving based on how you've been manipulated, how you've been inspired, and how you've been guilted. You don't give that way. Generous people, people living a generous life, do not give for that reason. God loves a person who gives cheerfully because of who they are. And God will generously provide all you need, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is the definition of blessing I've given you several times. It's, it's always enough and plenty, right? He, he, the challenge is to live in such a way that he gives you enough because he knows your needs. And even with those around the world that I go visit in Peru and in Kenya, and a comparison to us, they look like they have nothing. But I'll be honest, they live more generously than we do. Why? Because they really believe that God provides their needs and gives them enough and plenty to share with their brothers and sisters, with their community. God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. He's the provider of all of it. Not just the harvest, he provides the seeds. And the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest, a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Keep going. The two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. That's part of this process that he was talking about in terms of equality. And the joyful expression, they will joyfully express thanks to God because that's what happens. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God because they know it came from God. God gives the seed and he gives the harvest. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. That's what your generosity does. It proves. It's a test of your obedience to the good news of Jesus. What we do is a testimony of who we are. I want to close it out as quickly as I can, just helping you understand that we are very much like those, the church in Greece, the Corinth churches in Macedonia. I can't take for granted that you grew up in a home a culture where your parents or your, you know, people who, who raised you really taught you how to see money and how to be generous and live in such a way that you could be free, that you could live with your whole heart, that you could live in such a way that you weren't chained down, you weren't, you weren't tied down by prosperity and need and it's, and it's never enough and possessions and, and, and stability and security because you're trusting in what riches provide versus trusting in the one who richly provides. I can't, I can't take that for granted. So I'm going to spend the next just five minutes just trying to give you some practical tools, just some handles. I can't even unpack it all. I'm just going to give them to you because I, I want you to have these tools. Please get the book and take it home. 
and begin to do for research for yourself of not only how this practically looks, but if I, want, if I want to be obedient to the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, and I want it to be a testimony of who I am, then there might be some things that have to change in the way I live. Because it's going to benefit me. It's going to be positive. Here's the way I show it. Or actually, this is the way it's, it shows in the book. We don't start with worry. We start with peace. Remember? We, we seek the kingdom of God first and live righteously. We live in such a way that we're already made right with God. What do we have to worry about? We live in such a way that we're already at peace. We're not trying to win his approval. We're not trying to win his affection. It's peace. And from peace, from who we are, from how we live, we give. And after we give, we save. Not for the reasons you think. And after we save, we live. And we enjoy every bit of the harvest and the blessing of God. And because we know it all came from God, we live in peace. What does it mean to give first? Well, I've shared this with you several times, that giving, generosity, okay? Oh, go back. We're like, yeah, there it is, the, the priority one. Um, giving has a, generosity has a plan. Again, it's not out of manipulation. It's not out of shame. It's not out of guilt. Giving has a plan, right? Where are we? No, go back to where we were. Go back to the slide before that. Giving has a plan. There we go. Priority. We make it a priority. When we seek the kingdom first, we understand that there's everything. Everything is going to take priority. Everything in this world is going to tell us it's the most important thing in the world, and yet we have to continue to live as if, we, as if we're believers, as if we're followers of Christ, that there is only really one actual ultimate priority, that is the glory of God, and that's his kingdom first. So when we make giving a priority, it's, come, you know, it's one of those things that goes back to you know the, the Gentiles would follow the Jewish uh, law. They would follow this principle given to Jewish people about the tenth, about the tithe, about the, the, the first fruits. You know, they gave the best of their crop. They gave the best of their, of their animals. They gave, the, they gave the best thing back to God because of how richly God was blessing them. And so this is what was always carried into the church. It was carried into the principle of, of understanding your, your, your percentages. And that's the next piece. You, it's a percentage standpoint. How do, you, how do you know you can live in such a way at peace in your heart that you're always giving to God? You're always giving first your first fruits, no matter what comes your way. Well, you choose a percentage, you know? You choose, it's not about giving the church or giving back to God $1,000, okay? In your mind, that might be the biggest check you've ever written in your life to, to the church, because it always starts with the church. That might be the biggest thing you've ever written, but I'll be honest with you. It's not about giving $1,000. If you only make $1,000, it's about giving $100. If you only make $100, it's about giving the first $10. Can you trust God with that? If you're making $10,000, then yeah, you can give him $1,000. And you give it to him before you start saving and before you start living because it's made a pri you've made it a priority. 
in your life. But then when you understand tithes and offerings, you understand that, that there's a need for the storehouse. There's a need for, for the faithfulness of what God does through your local church. So you're giving your tithes, but the offerings come because there's so many places and people in need. And offerings come because when there's an opportunity, you can rise up and meet it. Because generosity has a plan. It's not, it's not out of motive, uh, manipulation. It's not out of guilt. It's, it's not even out of inspiration. It's got a plan. I've got margin in my life because I give, save, and live. I'm not worried. And I give according to what I have, not according to what I don't have. This is the principle that Paul was teaching out of what he saw, lived, and taught out of Jesus' life and what he wanted the church to see and experience. And then he save. Well, why do you save first? Now, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. When we spend everything we have and we save if we can and we give what's left over, that's what seems normal to everyone else. Okay? This seems crazy. If you were to try to explain this to somebody who doesn't go to church, who doesn't know God, what do you do? Oh, I give this. I give a percentage. I make it the first thing that comes out of my paycheck. I, I make sure it's a priority in my life. And then I save some. And you know what? I'm not saving for my retirement alone. I actually save for future opportunities to give. I actually save, I actually put money aside because I know there's going to be opportunities to give in such a way that I might not ever be able to give out of a paycheck, but I might be able to give when I put some things away. I'll be honest, it's revolutionized our church in terms of our generosity. We started this, Pastor Don and I had this conversation, we prayed about it about four, four years ago. And four years ago, we decided we're going to start putting money aside. It doesn't matter whether you are faithful with your tithes or not. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It doesn't matter in terms of our generosity. Okay? We didn't want it to be the thing that a need arose in a church or in someone's life where we didn't have because based off of summer and summer's always junky and you know it was summer and money was tight. We didn't want to get in that place. We said, you know what? God's already given us the principle to save in order to give. So we started putting money aside every single month regardless of what came in. And we now have an account that has allowed us over the last three or four years to be as generous as we've ever been to the needs that come our way because we are saving to give, not simply saving to make sure we have enough money in the account. I don't know how much is enough. Nothing. Everything. And then we enjoy, right? He gives, you, he gives, the seed, he gives seed to the farmer and then bread, right? He knows what we need. He knows what, what our lives need to, to experience that. But that's the part that I want you to see. What, what comes of this is not simply peace, but joy, right? And not just peace and joy, but gratitude, But that only comes when we understand and view money the, same, the right way. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We have to sow the seed that God gives us, right? That's everything. Time, resources, talents, treasures, everything. We're living with that whole heart. We sow the seeds that God gives us. You know, what sense does it make to store and hoard seed? Wouldn't that just look stupid, Right? If you went to a, a farm and nothing was showing up, there was no harvest at all, and he said, yeah, but check out how much seed I got. Just, just barns billowing full of seed. Whew, yep. Rainy day's coming, right? I got all the seed I need. Yeah, but what good does it do? That's why that's what Jesus gave the parable. <laughs> what happens when you think it's all about you and all about your future consumption just because it came to you? No, you, you live in such a way that the world may think is crazy, but it brings you 
joy. It makes you happier. It brings peace. It lets you live out of a thankful heart, a heart of gratitude. What did Paul say about the church? They're being challenged in every way, but they are also filled with abundant joy to be able to do this, to be able to live this out. But it wasn't because Paul told them they had to. It wasn't because it was a a command. It wasn't because it was part of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't because it was part of the Levitical law that these Gentiles now had to follow. It was because it was the principle that Jesus wanted them to understand that it was always better to give than to receive. And when you, and listen, when you don't live this way, you don't get that. You don't get it. When you live here, it is all about receiving. And sometimes you get good little warm, fuzzy feels on those random acts of giving. But you spend your life consumed about receiving, consumed with receiving. But when you live here, man, the joy of giving is beyond what you could imagine. And anyone who lives here, I guarantee you, you have them in your life. They're the happiest people you know. They are filled with peace, no matter what the circumstances. And they are so incredibly grateful. Not just for the life they live, the harvest that God has blessed them to be able to enjoy, but because it's better to give than to receive. They understand that God's given them the seed to sow. And what we reap is joy and peace and gratitude. But it's about who we are, not what we do. Everybody just just remember that. And that's why the question matters, right? That's why this question we asked the first week of the series really does matter, and it's where I want to end the series, that you would seriously ask that question of yourself. Who are we? Who am I? Right? Do we trust in what riches provide? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer with honesty and clarity in your life, whether that's how you live. Or do you want to make the shift? And do you want to make the change about beginning to trust in God, the one who richly provides? And begin to see that evidence in your life. Well, there's lots of things you can do. Why don't you just start with making him a priority? Learning to give and to save for future giving. And see what you don't get to enjoy. See what you don't get to reap by learning to sow the seeds that God gives you in the way he's called you to do it. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm, I'm so humbled by the way in which you've continued to teach me and my family and those around me because it's, it's not a light switch. It's not something that comes on. We are so ingrained in this culture, God, that it does feel really normal to be stressed and to worry about money. Oh God, you've just made such a better way for your people. You've made such a better way for your children to be able to live in a place of peace and be able to give first and save and then live. And as we enjoy all of that, that we get to reap gratitude, we get to reap joy and happiness. We get to reap the harvest of generosity. 
God, I pray that everybody here and watching today, you are, by your spirit, just making a change. Not, not to just get us to do something today or to do something in the next couple of weeks. God, that's not the goal. The goal is to have you continually change who we are so that when we leave this place, we look more like you than when we came in. And we want to live in such a way that with our whole heart and devotion to you. And that's our prayer, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.